We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help, and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is episode number 1171 with Dr. Phil. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Dr. Phil McGraw. And if you don't know who he is, he is one of the most well-known and trusted mental health professionals in the world, best-selling author of nine books, and the host of TV's number one daytime talk show, Dr. Phil. He focuses on presenting compelling stories about real people with a variety of emotional and behavioral problems, stripping away the shame and embarrassment that too often keeps people from seeking help. He continues to value his academic training and professional qualifications and insists that the information provided on his show is based on evidence-based treatment options and state-of-the-art research in the fields of psychology, psychiatry, and medicine. And our conversation was so powerful that I wanted to break it in two parts. In this first episode, we discussed the mindset of success on how he's built Dr. Phil, becoming successful without the knowledge of how to deal with it and how to manage all that, why you should always be in business for yourself, Dr. Phil's gut check moment when he said that he didn't want to do this anymore, why he thinks it's so important to write letters of gratitude to those who helped him in his life, and he shares an incredible story about why he does this every year with Oprah, what happens when you aren't clear about who you are, and so much more. This is extremely powerful about the mindset of success, the mindset of growth that I think you're going to really love from someone who's been doing this at a big level for the last 20 years years. Share this with someone that you think would be inspired by this as well. And a quick reminder, if this is your first time here, please subscribe over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a review with the part you enjoyed the most from this interview. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only Dr. Phil McGraw. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness. I'm extremely excited. We have the iconic Dr. Phil in the house. Good to see you, sir. How are you doing? I'm good. Glad to be here. I'm, I'm very excited to know that you're a former all-star football player yeah. and a current star in tennis and that you continue to change lives and impact people uh, right now in your life. It's amazing everything that you've done, so congratulations. Well, you, you use those superlatives pretty freely there, <laughs> all-star and star. I'll, yes. let, I'll let those slide by, but okay. <laughs> You're in your 20th season of your show, uh, number one talk show right now on TV. It's incredible. You, you change millions of people's lives daily. Uh, I'm curious. It seems like you've worked with so many people. What do you feel like is one of the main things that holds people back from just living a better, happier, healthier life? As simple as a question that might be, <clears throat> but you've worked with so many people. Is it fear? Is it insecurity? Is it the shame they hold on to? What would you say is kind of the, the main thing? I, I would say it's, it's comfort zones. Mm. You know, I, think, I think people um, limit themselves and get in their own way. I, I think everybody does that, me included. You know, we, everybody gets comfortable in their own life, and 
before you know it, days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years, and you look and you go, wow, you know, I've been doing this for a long, long time. And I think it's really difficult and something that you have to consciously do mm-hmm. to continue to challenge yourself to go to the next level. And 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 then on the other hand, you can do that so much that you get what I call caught in ascendancy, where you're never satisfied where you are, and so you're always reaching for the next level. And there's there's some balance in between where you always want to better yourself and challenge yourself to go to the next level, but that doesn't mean you're not satisfied. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm very gratified with the things that I do, and I'm very proud of the things that I do, but it doesn't mean that I'm not always looking for a way to do it better. Um, you know, we... We just started our 20th season, for example, but every summer, you know, when we wrap the season, we take, you know, three or four weeks to everybody decompress and go Mm -hmm. off on their own and stuff. But then we start meeting on a regular basis to start saying, okay, let's deconstruct that season. Let's start saying, what are some ways that we can do to to tell our stories more effectively, Mm -hmm. to reach more people, to get out there? Uh, more effectively. We're always trying to reinvent ourselves and stay relevant and right. say, how can we come back and and do a better job than we did last year? Not yeah. that we didn't do a good job, but we want to do a better job. So sure. I, I think people get in a comfort zone and that's real easy to do. What's your comfort zone right now? You know, I, I think I have been doing uh, Dr. Phil, and I'm not talking about myself in the third person, I'm talking about <laughs> the show, you know, the actual platform uh, for 20 years. And you hear people say, this is the way we've always done it. Well, that doesn't mean that's the way we should do it. Uh, and I'm always challenged us to say, challenging the staff to say, look, it doesn't matter how we did it last year mm-hmm. or last two years. Is this the way we should do it? You know, for example, people's viewing habits are changing. Yeah. Pacing has to change. Mm-hmm. The expectations of people are going to sit passively in front of a TV screen and let you dictate what they take in for an hour um, is pretty obsolete now. People mm. get their information in smaller bits at a faster pace than they did when we started. And I think my number one competition now is myself on the internet hmm. versus watching me on broadcast television. Interesting. Uh, you know, I get billions of views on the internet right. versus broadcasts where people, you know, they want a, a 18 minute bite or a 20 minute bite, and I generate that content on broadcast and distribute it on the internet. And, you know, that's really the number one competition because wow. nobody else in broadcast is even attempting to do what we do. They, mm-hmm. they have different subject matters. There's some great shows out there. They're just right. not trying to do what we do. Right. Uh, you know, I'm going to add another. Uh, you're a star also on TikTok, I saw. You've got like 50 million views in your last video. That I was like, you're, you're, like the, you're like crushing TikTok. You're all over yeah. YouTube. I mean, it's amazing how you've reinvented yourself to stay relevant with the different platforms. I was, I was listening to an interview you had with Oprah, or no, I started with Jay Leno, where you were like, you know, when we started this 20 years ago, there was no social media, there was no... Yeah, think about it. There really, internet. I mean, it was kind of like just yeah. getting started. It was. And there, was, there weren't any of these social media platforms, which means we've had to really adapt over the years mm-hmm. because um, 
there was there was no such thing as cyberbullying, for right. example. And we've now had to learn, research, and study that because kids are taking their own lives mm-hmm. by being cyberbullying. I, I read a study. I, I read all the time. That's just I, I can't I can't add two and two and get five every time. But I read really fast, yeah. and so I'm I'm a voracious reader. I, I just constantly am gathering information and data. And I was I was just reading a study that. Uh, like one in 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 three girls, we're talking about the negative impact of Instagram. Mm. One in uh, three, like in the yeah. country, or just yeah. teens, or yeah, teens, young girls. Wow. And um, so there's there's this impact of of social media and putting expectations on girls mm-hmm. in terms of their body image. Yeah. And, all of that, and so you know, those were things that weren't challenges we had to face then, and having to teach you know young people where they have to realize, look, I put this stuff out on the internet, they don't think that a college admissions committee is going to go look at that stuff when they're considering them for admission. A human re- a resources group is going to look at that when they're considering them for hire. They're going to go back 10 years, 15 years, and see you know, what they were doing when they weren't applying for a job to see mm-hmm. who they really are. And so you've got to teach them, look, you've got to think about this stuff because once it's on the web, it's out there forever. It doesn't go away. Right. And so just a whole different set of values that we're having to deal with that weren't even on the radar when we started. What were some of the problems, I guess, 17, 20 years ago that are still the same today from human beings that you're seeing, and what is different? Well, you know, all the, all the dynamics are the same in terms of, I think, interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. You have the same things from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s in terms of interpersonal relations. The number one need in all people is acceptance. Mm. The number one fear is rejection. And you can put synonyms in there, acceptance or uh, success, belongingness. Rejection or failure, you, know, you mm-hmm. put synonyms in for those em- things. Embarrassment, but, humiliation, yeah. yeah. And, and those things have been consistent generationally across time. Um, but, you know, what's different within that framework is um, we're jumping a lot of steps right now. When, mm. when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, relationships formed in steps. Mm. You know, we had my mom would take, her mom would pick up, you know, we mm-hmm. would we would hold hands at lunch, we would, <laughs> you know, then go to a movie together and stuff. A lot of that is jumped over now mm-hmm. because kids, they, they move so much faster. What we were exposed to on television then, mm-hmm. uh, there were three channels, um, you know, I Love Lucy, um, Gunsmoke, uh, Dick Van Dyke, they were sleeping in separate beds on network television. Really? You, you watch uh, Lucy and Ricky, they had them in twin beds, and they were sleeping in, they looked like snowsuits wow. for pajamas. In the same room, but in, in the same beds. room, but twin beds. That's huh. what network would allow on. They wouldn't let the public see a husband and wife sleeping in the same bed. They were in twin beds with a nightstand in between. Wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's what network television showed then. That's what was acceptable. That's what the censors would allow. 
Look at what's on network television now. It's mm-hmm. what you would consider pornography back then. <laughs> and our kids at 10, 11, and 12, are, that's what they see now. 10, 11, 12-year-olds weren't seeing that back then. So they've jumped way ahead on the curve mm. in terms of what their expectations are and what they're exposed to. So I think they get exposed to a lot higher levels of, deeper levels of, of physical, interpersonal, and emotional intimacy at an earlier age than they were back then, and they've jumped over all those steps. What so are the, what are they the pro- get, yeah. Well, they get deeper into a relationship without having done those preparatory uh-huh. steps. So they're much further into a relationship without having these these trials before they get there, and so when the wheels come off, they're not prepared for it. Mm. You know, we have things in life that prepare us for things that come later, like we... We lose a goldfish. <laughs> we we lose a, a, a pet bird. Mm-hmm. We lose a cat mm-hmm. before grandma dies, and that prepares us for death. We have dolls and pets that prepare us to raise babies and things. Mm. We we learn on with lesser stakes for later in life when the stakes are higher. And now we're jumping over a lot of those steps where we get to high stakes interactions without some of those interval steps. And then when the wheels come off, we're not prepared. We haven't had those interval steps of learning before we got to the high stakes losses, and we're not prepared for it. So what happens when people achieve success before they're prepared for it? I think it's the same thing as experiencing loss before you're prepared Mm. for it. You, You haven't had those plateaus, those steps where you had a little bit of success, and then mm-hmm. you had some more, and you learned to appreciate that. And you know, with the internet bubble and some of these things, we've had some very young people that went to insane levels of wealth and fame, and, and yeah. yeah, and they they had no idea of you know what really usually goes into uh, earning that kind of of wealth and financial freedom and stuff. And you, you see it now in some of the pro sports leagues. I, I saw a statistic not long ago that 80% mm-hmm. of professional athletes two years out of the league are either bankrupt or in serious financial straits, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, dire straits financially, because they go from having very little, if any kind of, uh, financial independence or income, let alone wealth, to millions of dollars, and they don't know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. And then next thing they know, it's gone, and they haven't prepared for it. They don't know. I, you know, Shaq talks about uh, the first time he got a twenty million dollar contract. He didn't stop and think about, wait a minute, half of that goes to taxes. So he was spending $20 million. He thought, okay, I've got 10 I can spend here, five here, and five here. And then they came in and said, no, 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 wait a minute. You only had 10 to spend. You spent 20. And he's like, holy (laughs) s***. And, you know, he he says that. He says, I I wasn't, nobody taught me about that. I wasn't prepared for it. And then I got caught in arrears in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I had to play catch up. So... They haven't been through those steps where they learn, hey, you got to pay taxes on this, you got to hold some things in reserve. And, you know, most people think that when you see all of these people get in trouble 
with credit card debt, they think, oh, people just went out and went crazy with their credit cards. Right. The number one reason they get in trouble is some kind of medical problem. Really? We have double income families, and then one can't work because mm. of a medical problem. That's where they get in. It's not that they're out spending crazy. It's that they had a double income family, and then one couldn't work, and now they're they're they're, struggling in, they're in serious trouble. So I'm curious about your your story a little bit, because when you were in college, you were studying psychology, but also you were this all-star football player, turned all-star tennis player in college on a scholarship. And then for essentially, call it 30 years, you were working, but it wasn't until you were 20 years ago when the, when the season started, the first season started for Dr. Phil. And really that success kind of took, took off to another level by being one of the top talk shows. What was the challenge that you faced at that stage of your career, or since you had 30 years of working experience, roughly, did you feel really prepared for that level of success and fame? Well, it was not a, it was not a rags to riches story uh, for me. That makes a great story, but mm-hmm. that wasn't the story. Um, I had, um, you know, my, I was raised by a mother and father that were very loving, mm-hmm. uh, but my dad was a terrible alcoholic. Really? And when I say terrible alcoholic, I mean r- really bad alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, when he finally got a job, uh, he had Wednesday afternoons off, and every Thursday morning was spent finding the car. Because mm. uh, he'd come home drunk and have no idea where he left the car. Wow! And I had to find the car and get to school by noon because if you weren't in school by noon on Thursday, you weren't eligible to play in the game on Friday. Right. I had to find that car and get to <laughs> so, school. So you're running around town trying to find the car. Yeah, and I was in Kansas City. You had no idea oh, where the car was, and you, you, I finally kind of learned what its haunts were, and you'd go around <laughs> and find them, and um, it was. It was not a, a a good situation, but you know when I got on my own, um, I've always been very fortunate to kind of have a knack for making money. Really, and, uh, when I was you know, very young, I, I was making more money than my dad was when I was nineteen. Really, and I, I've always been able to, you know, to me. And it, it may sound cliche to say it, but I've always thought money was the cheapest commodity I had. Mm. It was time mm-hmm. that was so critical. Money you can replace, money you can make. It's it's time that's really precious. And when I got married and had kids, that really came into focus mm. then. Um, and I've... I've never, since high school, never really had a job. I had a job in high school, and since then, I've always been in business for myself. Really? And, I mean, always. I I had a job in high school working for Hallmark Cards. Uh, I worked in their underground warehouse in Kansas City. Okay. They had an underground warehouse on 31st Street where they kept all their greeting cards, and uh, I got a job working in it. It was carved out of actual rock. I mean, it was just carved out and I worked there and um, 
but after that, I, I, I never had a job. And I loved working for Hallmark. What a great organization mm-hmm. that is, I can tell you. Um, but I've always been in business for myself. And that really carved a, a philosophy mm. uh, for me. You know, I used to read all these people that would say, well, you know, so-and-so's philosophy was. And I always thought, I must not be very smart because I don't have a philosophy. <laughs> Uh, and I don't think those guys thought they had a philosophy at the time either. It was you don't you never have a philosophy until you get old and then people assign you. Right, 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 right. <laughs> the wisdom say, you have exactly. Yes. Then they assign you a philosophy. <laughs> I look back now and realize I've always had a a philosophy that everybody's in business for themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're working for the post office. Right. I don't care if you're working for General Motors or or some large company everybody's in business for themselves. They just mm-hmm. don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Even if you're an employee, just rank and file, you're still a company of one. And you've got to approach it that way and say, I, I am in business for myself. How am I doing? One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
how am I presenting myself? Mm-hmm. You know, how what's my marketing plan? How am I moving up the chain? How am I, you know, what am I doing? And and I actually have been in business for myself all my life, but I've always thought everybody was. They just don't think about it that mm-hmm. way. But when you got into psychology, were you thinking I'm going to, you know, build a business and make a lot of money in the the field of psychology? I guess fifty years ago. Well, I I certainly approached it. Um, with kind of two things in mind. Okay. And one was, I, I recognized very early on that if you're going to get in to a helping profession, mm-hmm. you have to acknowledge that there are multiple forms of currency. Okay. If you're purely motivated monetarily, you don't want to get in a helping profession right, right. The, because you can't leverage it. It's not right. scalable. And usually if, a one-to-one practice is not yeah, scalable. It, it's yeah. just not. And so if, if you don't have social currency, mm-hmm. spiritual currency, the, the currency of, of giving something back and impacting people's lives, if those things don't matter, if those things don't fill the void for you, then you shouldn't be in that profession. Mm-hmm. And I told myself, if I ever got to the point where those things mattered less, then I'd stop doing it. Wow. And I really had a gut check moment. Really? For myself in that regard because the average income for a PhD psychologist back in the 80s was like $48,000, a year. Right. Not much. I mean, it really just wasn't much. And at, at that point, you know, I was making, you know, maybe a couple of million a year mm. as a psychologist wow. because I took an entrepreneurial approach to it. Sure. But I remember... Over Christmas break one year, I was down at the office with Robin, and we were just kind of wrapping up for the year and stuff. And I went up to the receptionist desk, and the appointment book was out there. And I looked at it, and it was solid for the entire year. Oh, man. I mean, there, I mean it wasn't a 15-minute block in there, and I thought, oh, my God. I, I just don't want to do this. Wow. What year was this? This was in 88, 89. Wow. And I thought, oh, I, just, I just don't want to do that. And there was a time when I would have thought, wow, this is great. Mm-hmm. You know, you're building a practice. This is great. Because I had a hospital practice wow. and an, another hospital practice. And we had groups and we were doing a lot of biofeedback type things for pain management and stuff. And it just everything was just couldn't be better. And I thought, uh, it just looked to me like nine miles of bad road. Wow. I was just fatigued at it. I thought, I, just, I don't want to do this anymore. And that was my gut check moment. And if I ever got to that point, I'd say, I won't do this anymore. And to walk away from that 
was a real gut check moment. Hmm. Uh, and I, I talked to Robert about it. I said, you know, I, I said if I ever really wasn't all in, I would shut this down and walk away. And she said, are you serious? Wow. And I said, yeah, I'm serious. And, uh, and I did. Shut it down. Shut it down. Did you wait till the next year and like finish the commitments or the appointments that were scheduled? Or were you just like, this is the last year? I referred them all out. I wow. Did, I did everything you're supposed to do. Sure, sure. To get them to the proper places wow. and wow. checked all the boxes, shut it down and moved on. What did you do? I mean, did you have a game plan? Did you have a dream after that? Was it just, well, let's give it a year and figure it out what comes to me? Uh, sort of, but <laughs> not really. Really? Well, you, you, um, I'm assuming you had savings and investments yeah, to... No, it wasn't. Well, we didn't like move into a cardboard box right. or anything. Uh, but I, I started uh, <sighs> two new enterprises and um, it was a, it was clearly a, it was clearly a gut check time. Wow. And uh, I know Robin was talking to my boys a couple of years ago, and she said, you know, your daddy's taking chances that would make grown men throw up, so don't <laughs> think this was an easy road. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was one of them she was talking about. Sure. That was one of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard. How does someone wrap their heads around, you know, maybe 10, 20 years prior, or maybe five years prior, that would have been the dream for you to have your whole year booked out or to have clients and referrals coming in and opportunities like that. When should people know that it's time to leave a dream they've accomplished or that it's so good, but it's not what they want anymore? Like, how can they let that go? You know, the worst thing you could ever do is if you're pursuing the wrong dream or if your dream changes and you don't change with it. Mm. Like for example, let's say that you work to become the best accountant in the entire world and you achieve that goal only to find out that being the best accountant in the whole world was not what you really wanted to do. What you really wanted to do was be a drummer. Mm. <laughs> or sell shrimp out of a van down by the river, <laughs> and you worked to become the best accountant in the world, and you did. But once you got there, you realized this isn't what I wanted, or it's what I wanted at one time, but mm -hmm. it changed. I changed, and mm -hmm. I didn't evolve my goals with it. And you know, when I left that, I, I actually uh, started a, a, a company in trial sciences called CSI before CSI was ever on TV, <laughs> Courtroom Sciences, Inc. And it, it was a trial science firm where we did trial strategy, jury selection, wow. mock trials, wow. uh, shadow juries and trials. And That's how you met Oprah, right? Didn't you I, help I did. her with the trial she yeah. was doing? I, I helped represent her in the Mad Cow case in Amarillo. And... Um, I, I did that for 12, 15 years, and I came to a point then, is right when I started Dr. Phil, and I remember the day that I hit the wall in that profession. Mm. I had done 
everything you could do. Every I represented every major airline in the world. I represented all the nine major film studios mm-hmm. out here. I represented half of the Fortune 100. I represented, I, I was involved in the tobacco litigation, the breast implant litigation, wow. the, everything you could imagine. I'd done virtually everything you can do in that profession. And I remember a day a building, a, a, a truck pulled up in front of our building was literally an 18-wheeler pulled up with a file for a case. And the copy bill for the file was a million dollars. Oh, my gosh. And it pulled up, and I had one of those moments where I went, oh, my God. (laughs) And it was like, I really wish they hadn't pulled up. Oh, my gosh. That's when it's time to go do something else. Interesting. When the... Just to copy the files a million dollars, that's good business. That's a good case. And you're going, oh, God. You don't want to do it anymore. That means i got to read it. That means i got to get involved in it. And I thought... uh, It wasn't worth it anymore. I just... I had done done it all. And I, I was living on the road. I had trials going in Pittsburgh, L.A., Houston... Spoke, I mean, all over the country, and I was traveling all the time. And I thought, I, I've I've done it all. I don't want to do it anymore. And that made the decision to launch Doctor Phil real easy. Right. I mean, did you have Doctor Phil already before then? Or I'd, is been, it... I'd been I'd uh, been doing Oprah in Chicago on a weekly basis yeah. for four or five years. And okay. Then it was time to launch Doctor Phil itself, and um, I. I could have done both, and I decided, no, I'm going to sell my interest in this and just go all in on What do you think would have happened if you did both as opposed to saying, I'm going to put all my effort and energy into this one platform? Um, I don't think I would have done justice to mm-hmm. either one because I think I fastly found out when I got into doing uh my own show here, I fastly found out that this is not a part-time thing. <laughs> no. I mean, this is a, you've got to be body and soul. Yeah. And and be here just really involved in, in content, format, mm-hmm. story selection, everything from designing the studio to, I mean, everything. It became all-consuming. And... It, I was into that about a month or two and realized that before we ever got on the air, a year before we were on the air, and said, this is not something that you can do no. as a part-time thing. You either got to go all in or not at all. And it sounds to me like you are extremely invested in the whole process of the show, of the production, of the crew, of the stories, every decision you're involved in. And I think a lot of people, I think I heard you talk about this somewhere, actually, that people don't know how hard it is to do a talk show or anything of a big production. They think they can go in with their expertise and it'll be great. But you had decades of expertise, but then you had to develop so many other skills, it sounds like, right? To learn about TV, learn about content, learn about storytelling, and you haven't stopped. Yeah, it depends on, you know, you can... 
you can come out and and be talent mm-hmm. and show up and be a pretty face and do what you do. But if you're really going to succeed, um, and it's a different situation from the beginning, um, I I own my own show a hundred percent. Wow, and you know that just doesn't really happen. No. Um, you know, nobody really does that, but I approached it, you know, as a business and and run it as a business. And to do that, you've got to be involved. And then we launched The Doctors, which we own 100%. Mm. Wow. And, you know, we've launched other shows. And, you know, we, we, we have a very uh, large involvement in it uh, at every level, you know, Production, distribution, mm-hmm. international formatting, everything, and all the shows that we do. So, um, we're, it's not just a matter of showing up and doing that episode. It's a matter of, you know, your distribution deals domestically, foreign formatting, mm-hmm. um, you know, your facilities, everything. So, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. How long did it take for you to, to learn that process to be able to own 100%? Because you didn't own 100% at first, did you? No, I didn't. Uh, but the third year, really, I, I took over ownership of it at that point. That's impressive because it's a big undertaking. Yeah. I mean, it's a big investment. It's a lot yeah. of like, you could easily fail and you know lose all this money. Yeah, when we started out, I was a, a Harpo owned it. Uh huh. And I was a profit participant. Okay. Um, you got a talent fee plus an executive yeah. producer fee plus yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was a sharing in the in the profits mm-hmm. and then at that point we flipped and I became the owner and she became a profit participant and she said exactly what you said she said yeah if, if you want to do it you can but understand you're taking on all of this and all the liabilities mm-hmm. and stuff and she said I know you know that but just know that's what you want to do you can do it and I said I understand and and I did and it's worked out great for her and for me and we're right. still partners and right. it works out great and, so, uh, so there's still profit sharing there for her then. Uh-huh. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's, a, it's no risk for her and she's still involved and that's that's exciting. Yeah, she's a great partner. And I saw that you, uh, I love this about you, that you really care about your relationships. You really continue to acknowledge people for years after they've believed in you and supported you. And I saw that you, uh, you send Oprah two letters a year <laughs> for the last, I don't know, 20 years it sounds like. Um, and... This is something I think people don't understand, the power of an acknowledgement and a continued acknowledgement of just like a thank you and here's how much it means to me. When I saw a clip of you and her talking about that, she was like, you have no idea how much this means to me. Every year I get those. And you said, you don't get thanked enough in your life. Why is acknowledgement so important for you to continue to do? Not just like, I oh, thank you for giving me this you know, opportunity I'm done t- telling you thank you. Why is it important every year to do it for you? Well, you know, I think you got to dance with who brung you. And, uh-huh. you know, I, I, I hate these people that, um, you know, wake up on third base and think they hit a triple, as the old saying goes. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I don't think there would be a Dr. Phil if it, if it wasn't for Oprah. Mm. And so, you know, here we are 20 years on, and, you know, I've got a well-established brand, and mm-hmm. people know... Dr. Phil and 
all of that. And, you know, that's all well and good today. But 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. What was the case was that Oprah generously, unselfishly pushed me to the forefront. Wow. And I will never forget that. Wow. There were times when I was on the Oprah show that she got off the stage, went into the audience, set up a table beside her chair for some hot tea, and said, take over the number one platform in the history of television. It's yours. What do you got for me today? And you hosted it. And turned over the show. Wow. Um, on a regular basis. You know, a lot of people, and you know, I enjoyed great success on the Oprah show, and there were a lot of people that would be threatened by that, that those were the highest ratings of the week most of the time. There were a lot of people that would maybe be threatened by that or whatever. Not her. She just kept pushing me to the forefront, pushing me further, pushing me further, pushing me further. Um, And just unselfishly and and generously did everything she could to establish me and my brand and support me and everything that I did when I came out here to launch the show. Um, The first one I shot, she was in the control room. She came out at the break. She was there. I shot my 1,000th show. She was there on the stage in the control room. 2,000th show, she was there in the control room. 3,000th show, she was there in the control room. Just, you know, just uh, has been such a a loyal, generous uh, supporter. And and, uh, till the day I die, I will thank her for everything she's done for me and for my family. And, And I don't... I don't now enjoy this success and and forget who brung me to the dance. That's beautiful. Know. And so do you have like a certain dates that you send these letters or is it, I mean, you guys talk all the time, I'm assuming yeah, on the phone and chat, yeah, but. We do, but. Why do you still think it's important to send letters even though you're talking on a consistent basis and telling her like, thank you again so much and face, you know, seeing with her all the time? Yeah, you know, I, I just think it's important to, sit down and thoughtfully kind of mm. recount what's happened uh, during the last year with myself and Robin and mm-hmm. Jay and Jordan, who she's very close to, and just let her know what's evolved. And, you know, I, I call it the O factor um, mm-hmm. because, you know, you always think about the metaphor of throwing the pebble in the pond and the ripples out. Uh with the O factor, it's like throwing a meteor in a pond, <laughs> and there's a tsunami everywhere, and it just keeps going and going and going, and it's impacted my boys, which she was uh, has such a close relationship uh, with with Jay and Jordan, and and how it's affected their lives, and and all across time, and you know, just had such an impact, and I, I just don't ever want her to forget. Mm. that we know that right. and um, you're not too good for her you think it's all you now and you you're the one who created this success no. on your own or? no and I, I hope I've given back to her along the way as well she's called me in some tough times and mm-hmm. I, I never cease to take that phone call but you know I, I can spend the rest of my life and never repay her for everything she's done for me and mine and I, I never hesitate to say that 
That's why I said, people say, what's your secret to being number one? I said, Oprah quit. <laughs> you know, she's number one. Right. It's just she retired. <laughs> you kept showing one. up. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Who would you say is the most influential person in your life growing up, the most impo- influential figure, whether it be a parent or a coach or a mentor or um, family friend? When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there to in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off you know there clearly it was it was my dad and Mm -hmm. you know both negatively and positively yeah uh i haven't had a drink in over 50 years uh because he was a bad alcoholic Mm -hmm. and i just said i will never go down that road uh, he was also the hardest hurt working man I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I got a tremendous work ethic from him. Yeah. Um, I've never seen anybody work as hard as him. Wow. He, he, he was never tired. He never, he never gave up. He always fought. And um, I, I respected him for that. And uh, I, I hated that he was an alcoholic, but I also understood it, too. Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of what he went through growing up, and uh, mm-hmm. he self-medicated a lot. And uh, right. I, I, I don't excuse it, but I understand it. And, sure. Uh, he was, a, uh, he was a, a big factor in my life. And uh, I, I had a football coach in high school that was a big factor in my life, the uh, he helped me graduate. <laughs> <laughs> Got you to show up to class yeah, and make sure you showed up. Yeah, yeah, he, he did. And uh, you know, I, th- I think that um, you you take those lessons along the way, and you. I, I used to have coaches tell me when I was playing football. You know, they give you that. You've heard it. Yeah. You know, man, football <laughs> teaches you about life. You know, yeah. Well your eyes. And, yeah. It right. does though. <laughs> and. You know, you roll your eyes, and yeah, right, come on. But the fact of the matter is, it really does. I can't think how many times it was a minute, 10 seconds left in the game, mm-hmm. and you're 13 points behind, and somehow or another you wind up winning, and you lose. It ain't ever too late. You're never too late. You never quit till it's over, and mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've learned that. And uh, even playing tennis, there are days that, 
I'll be scheduled to do two shows. We wind up doing five. Oh, man. And if I didn't play tennis every day and stay in shape and stay sharp and work out and stuff, I wouldn't be able to do five mm. television shows in a day. I And the, the competition and the conditioning and stuff, I mean, it's just... I've just been a jock all my life, and yeah. just, that's when you reach down and pull it out and gut it up and get it done. That's it. Just dig deep, Dr. Phil. I like it. You know, you have to, and you can be tired later. You well, that's do, it. You know, that, Sleep red later. Light, that red light comes on, you do what you got to do. <laughs> I'm curious, what was the, the biggest lesson your dad taught you, and also the biggest lesson this, this coach taught you? You know, they, they both said it kind of the same way. Um, big time players make big time plays at big times I love that and uh, they they both said that to me and um, you know I was I've been captain on the teams that I've played on and it kind of pushed me into a leadership role Mm -hmm. from a very young age and I, I really think I'm fortunate in that I really feel like that I'm in one of those jobs where everything I have ever done has prepared me for what I'm now doing. Wow. And, you know, there are a lot of jobs that you wouldn't be able to say that about. Right. You know, if if I was a heart surgeon, for example, uh, I wouldn't necessarily be able to say that. But because I deal with human nature mm-hmm. and human interaction and all of those things, then being parts of a team, um, you know, having been very poor, having been homeless when I was a teenager, having been in these different situations and scenarios, I think has allowed me to, A, not be judgmental of people because I've been where they've right. most people have been and and I also mm. understand you know what what they face I right. I know what it's like for a kid to say I could never take my friends home because I never knew what I would find when I opened that door mm. I, I never knew if the utilities would be on or off I never knew if my dad would be drunk in the driveway I never knew if he would have attacked my mother. I never knew if, hmm. you know, well, I, I, when they talk about that, I understand because I've been there. Right. Um, and I'm, I don't relish that, and I, I'm glad that my children didn't go through that. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But since I did, I've at least been able to apply it in relating to the people that I sit with sometimes that are looking for some guidance. Right. And having been in those scenarios, both negative and positive, mm-hmm. I, I'm able sometimes to relate. Yeah. And they understand, you know, he gets, he he gets, gets what I'm saying. <laughs> I can see it in his face. He understands. How do you think you stay so, so uh, relatable to people? Even though I think uh, Ellen had a show, I think it was called Relatable or something, or like a Netflix series yeah. that was about trying to stay relatable as she earns however much she earns a year. How do you think you stay relatable 
with, uh, you know, just the success you have being a, a TV personality, a big entrepreneur and, and businessman, how do you, how do you keep that relatability? Well, I hope I do. Yeah. And, um, I think, I think part of it is growing up in the South. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The accent. You know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's part of it. Um, but you know, I, we moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it almost sounds military because I, I went to first, second, and third grade in Tulsa, fourth, fifth, and sixth in Denver, seventh, eighth, and ninth in Oklahoma City, ten, eleven, and twelve in Kansas City. Then off, to, I mean, I was I, we moved every three years, not by design. It just worked uh-huh. out that way, and so I was always the new kid. Mm-hmm. I always had to be making friends. Mm-hmm. I always had to be taking down barriers and finding a way to to fit in and I think that's why athletics were such a big part yeah. of my life because as you know uh-huh. I mean God you've been a decathlete and uh-huh. you've played all of these different sports you know when you're a jock you have an immediate peer group absolutely yeah. if you don't your guy friends right away exactly yeah. if you don't you're just standing there you know looking around <laughs> like nobody to sit with at lunch but if you if you show up and you can run fast and jump high, then You're you accepted. have something yeah. in common with somebody. Right. And so I always found uh, a peer group everywhere I went and and fit into the group mm. in that way. And that helped me in so many ways. Um, you know, like I, like I said, I went to high school in Kansas City and you know, half of the team was black and half the yep. team was white. And, uh, boy, you, you fastly realize there's just absolutely no difference. Mm-hmm. And you you learn right away the that there might be cultural differences in mm-hmm. practices, but, you know, human beings are human beings. And I, I got comfortable with that from a very early age. And yep. I was so glad that I did. Yeah. And that served me well, you know, my whole life. Whereas there are a lot of kids grew up where they were never around. They lived such a homogeneous life. They were never around anybody any different than themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's not true in athletics, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. Is somebody can run fast and jump high? That's all that matters. You don't care right. if they're polka dot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you help? Can they help you win? Exactly. Are they a good person on your team? Do they have a yeah. good attitude? Do they work hard? That's what you look for. Those characteristics. I played yeah. football, in, uh, arena football in Alabama for a year. I was one of the only white guys on the team. Yeah. And they cared. Could I play the game? That's right. Could I ball? Yeah. If I can ball, then I'm good enough to hang with them. Yeah, doesn't make any difference. Doesn't and then matter. it extends off the field. Absolutely. And and so right away you learn, you know, we're all the same. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think I got that instilled in me really early. Mm-hmm. And you just relate to everybody. Yeah. And you talk about being a big-time uh, big players make big-time plays at big moments, big times. If someone's not a big-time player in their life right now or in their career or relationship or business, how can they become a big-time player to be able to make big-time plays at the right time? Well, I think everybody can. I think that's the whole point. Look, if you don't star in your own life, Mm -hmm. who's going to? Absolutely. I mean, think about that. I I think um, it starts with with this. I, I think you've got to decide 
that you're going to be who you are on purpose. Mm. Don't wake up every day and let the world tell you who you are, who you're going to be. And I think a lot of people do that. What do you mean by be you on purpose? Well, you know, we, the world is going to tell you who to be and, and where you fit in. Your parents have an expectation set mm-hmm. for you. Your job has an expectation. Your community, your church, your everybody has a slot for what they expect you to do. And that may or may not be who you really are. And I think you have to make a decision about who you really are, what mm. your values are, mm. what you believe, what matters to you, what doesn't matter to you. And you've got to decide, I'm going to embrace those values and pursue those goals, and I'm going to do it on purpose, mm. and I'm, I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm going to be who I am, and I'm going to do it on purpose. And so when you say, what are you doing, and why are you doing it, I'll say I'm doing A, B, and C, and I'm doing it on purpose. Like me, don't like me, mm. but that's who I am, and I'm doing it on purpose. This is not a mistake. I Look, I believe in a defined brand. A defined brand. A defined brand. Look, do you do you think anybody's going to confuse me with somebody else? No. <laughs> no. no. Seriously, you're not going to confuse me with somebody else. There are a lot of people out there that have fine brands. They're they're, they're good people, and they what they do is good, and and they have a lot to contribute. Uh, but like Marianne Williamson, mm-hmm. I I know Marianne. She's a a wonderful woman. She's very spiritual, and yes. you know she's kind of ethereal, and she's into those. Th- yeah. That's not me. Yeah, we've had her on the show. She's, she's great. She's yeah. terrific. Isn't yeah, she yeah. terrific? She's great. Yeah. And but it's not your brand. Not me. She's not a. And she's she's not me, and I'm not her. <laughs> but there's a place for both of us. Absolutely. And there's room for both of us. There's a place, but you're not ever going to confuse my message with hers, mm-hmm. or hers with mine. But I love her. I think she's got a great message, but. She's got to be who she is, and I got to be who I am. And it's like it's like McDonald's and the Palm. You're not ever <laughs> going to go into the McDonald's and expect to get a five pound lobster, and you're right. not ever going to go into the Palm and expect to get a Big Mac and fries. Mm-hmm. They have defined brands. They are distinct. They're good at what they do. Mm-hmm. You can't ride two horses with one ass. You've got to decide, all right, this is my brand, and this is who I'm going to be, and I'm going to ride that brand. That's me. And I think that's what I mean when I say you got to be who you are on purpose. I'm very straightforward. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the truth as I see it. Now, you may disagree, and if you do, mm-hmm. and what I say won't withstand challenge, throw it out. 100%, I'm not the repository of all knowledge. And if what I tell you won't withstand challenge, hit the eject button and move on. If you don't like what I'm saying, that's why you have a remote control. Right. Hit that up or down button and move on to something else. Got it. But I'm going to be who I am on purpose. Mm. I'm going to sink or swim, not based on what somebody else decides I should say or do. I'm going to do it based on what I believe at the core of my soul I need to do. And, you know, there are a lot of psychologists that, Take the approach, like, well, how does that make you feel? Well, tell me, how does that make you feel? That's a valid approach for people to discover certain things. That's not me. Mm-hmm. That's not me. I'm not going to talk to somebody for six months and then say, you're an asshole. Right. 
If I know that in the first five minutes, I'm going to tell you. You're, <laughs> you're an asshole. Yeah, you don't need to talk to me for six months for me to tell you you're a narcissistic jerk. Work on that. Right. I'm going to tell you right now. And if you're, if I'm wrong, then fire me and go get somebody else. Mm. But I'm not going to wait six months to tell you that. I'm going to tell you what I believe, and I'm straightforward. And I'm go- I know a lot of 75-cent words. I just try not to use them. <laughs> I can tell you you're a schizophrenogenic mother with conflicts here, there, and other, or I can just explain what that means. I would rather just explain what it means. Yeah. And that's my brand. I don't think common sense is nearly common enough. Mm. And so I try to present common sense information to people's homes every day for free. Yeah. And that's worked for me. Uh-huh. And that's a brand that, I embrace, and so I am who I am on purpose. I don't apologize for it. Some people may think I'm a barbarian. Some people may think I'm the second coming of of common sense. I wouldn't disagree with either one of them. Right. <laughs> you are who you are, though. I, what I, What I, happens if we don't get clear on our values, and we aren't we're, we're being someone else on purpose, but not ourselves? What happens to us? It's not authentic. It just, uh, it's mm-hmm. not ever going to work. Look, if you're mm-hmm. not authentic, if you if you don't really, if, if look, it, it, to me, it's congruency. Mm-hmm. If you're not congruent with what you really believe at the core of your soul, then you're incongruent. Yeah. And it's 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 not going to work. Right. It's like an airplane that's not aerodynamic. It's like mm. flying with your gear down. It's it's not clean. It's not mm-hmm. going to move. And if you are congruent, then it's going to feel right to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember when you were a kid? We've all done this. When we're a kid, we'd get in the swimming pool, we'd have a beach ball, and we try to hold it underwater. Uh-huh. And it just pops right up. Yeah. Wear yourself out holding it underwater. <laughs> it keeps popping up this way and that way. To me, that's what it's like when you're denying who you really are. Oh, man. You're holding that beach ball underwater. It keeps uh-huh. trying to pop up. Let it pop up. Let That's who you really are. And uh-huh. I'm, that's what I mean when I say be who you are on purpose. Let that beach ball pop up. That's who you are. And that's what I do. I'm not... And and you got to know who that is, and you got to stay in your lane. Mm. You've never—I don't know how many of my episodes you've watched, but you've never heard me tell anyone what to do with their four hundred one k. Right, right. You've never heard me give anybody investment advice. That is right. not my lane. That is not what right. I do. Now I might have an expert come on and advise mm-hmm. a couple or something. But that's not me. Right. You might be good at it yourself because you've been doing it for a long time, but it's yeah. not your expertise. And so I'm not going to talk about it. I right. have a lane. Now, fortunately, human functioning is a pretty broad lane. Right. So I can talk about marriage, parenting, mm-hmm. individual pursuit of goals. Mental health. Yeah, mental yeah. health, mental illness. There's a lot of, I have a broad lane, so I don't lap myself right away. Mm-hmm. But there are things outside my lane, I leave those alone. And I'm, I'm going to stay in my lane, mm. and I'm going to do it authentically. And I, I think we have to know what that is and be authentic and, and own it. And I, th- I think that's very, very important. And then I think you have to star in your own life. I don't care if you're a teacher or a plumber or a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker. You have to decide, I'm going to take pride in who I am, mm. and I, I'm 
I'm going to be good at what I do. I'm going to be proud of what I do. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the star of my own life. And maybe that's in the way you give to other people, the way you parent your children, the mm-hmm. way you spouse uh, with your partner or whatever. But I, I think we generate the results in life that we think we deserve. Ooh. And it, I, I can follow someone around and never speak to them and tell you a whole lot about that person. If I mm. see somebody in a gray suit, a gray shirt, a gray tie, a gray bag, slumped over, shuffling along the street, I know that's what that person thinks they deserve. Mm. I don't have to talk to them because they generate the results in life they think they deserve. And if they're disheveled and they're tired and they're bent over and they're depressed and they're lonely, they're generating the results they think they deserve. We all do that. Mm. And if you see somebody that is genuinely happy, they're engaged and involved and they're looking around and they... They think that's what they deserve. You, right. People generate the results they think they deserve. And I can watch somebody and tell you what they think they deserve because it's what they, that's who they surround themselves with. Right. It's the activities they choose. It's, and the problem is you model that for your children. If somebody comes home and says, how was your day at work? Oh, it's horrible. I just, you know, it's another day. Just, you're modeling for your child to sell out, take a job you mm. hate but do it every day of your life. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this, assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S. Don't model that for your children. What is that about? Yeah. 
That's terrible. Right. That's not being who you are on purpose. That's being who somebody else wants you to be and modeling for your child that you grow up and sell out to what somebody else wants you to do whether you like it or not. Wow. I hate when people do that. And I try to get people not to do that. Right. They say, well, it's easy for you. You've got enough money to do what you want to do. It's not about the money. It's about finding a way to be who you are in your own paradigm. Mm. And it's, it, it's not about you know, quitting your job and go flying freight out of Africa. It's finding a way to, to shine in your own world, in your own orbit, in, mm-hmm. in some way. It's, it's how you do what you do, not necessarily what you do. That's true. And if someone has been stuck, though, for a while, or maybe they've been living in this kind of limiting belief for a while, maybe it's years, or they've just been in that pattern, how can they start to think differently and believe themselves when they've never seen the results or evidence that they deserve more? Well, I can tell you this. Really small changes Mm -hmm. accumulate across time. Absolutely. And, you know, you and I are sitting here right now in September. And people are listening to this whenever you're going to drop this. Mm -hmm. And the rest of this year is going to go by whether they're doing something about it or whether they're not. Right. Let's say there's 12 weeks left in this year. Those 12 weeks are going to go by whether somebody spends it losing a half a pound a week, setting a goal to look up a college curriculum, Mm -hmm. to explore a different job, to redefine their relationship with their spouse, to re-engage with their children, to whatever it is, making a small change each week or each day, it's astounding how much those small changes accumulate to big differences in a short period of time. We don't have to leap tall buildings in a single Mm -hmm. bound. Just make a little difference today and another one tomorrow. And then before you know it, wow, I'm really in a different place. Right. And that time's going to go by whether you're doing something about it or not. Absolutely. So you might as well be doing a little something. What would you say is the thing you you get to work on to get you out of your comfort zone over the next 12 weeks that maybe you've been, ah, I should be doing more of this or I need to take a look at this thing or assess this part of my life? Is there any any area? Me personally? Yeah, you personally. This season of your life? Next chapters. Um, Because I'm always asking myself, um, and I know at this stage, my world's supposed to be getting smaller, Uh I'm supposed to be slowing down, Uh kicking back. But I, I look, I still look at expanding. Wow. My rides is I'm looking at what is a new chapter I can challenge myself with. Um, and I, I like to do things that, I like to take on things that are really outside my comfort zone. Mm. Like I mentioned, I'm not good at math. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I was in graduate school, uh, my teaching assistantship uh, was statistics okay? Uh, because it it scared the bejeebers out of me. <laughs> so I, I think I'm only nine or 12 hours short of a PhD in statistics because it, 
intimidated me so bad, I took every statistic course I could, non-parametrics, wow. parametrics, Malanova's distance, analysis of very, I took everything I could get because I thought I will not turn away from that. Mm. I will take this one, that one, this one, that one. I will not let this intimidate me. So I like to lean into stuff that intimidates me, except going to the dentist. I hate Oh, that's the worst, right? <laughs> yeah. I had uh, I had eight teeth. Well, I had four teeth removed plus my four wisdom teeth when oh I was when I was seventeen. Oh my gosh! And because uh, I was supposed to get braces right afterwards, this was in the summer before football season, and my my uh, I was like, man, I don't want to get braces right now and then have to wear this. You know this. My braces all messed up with the mouth guard in. I was like, oh. let me wait. Let me wait till after the season. This is the worst. After the season turned into twenty years. Yeah. And it wasn't until two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I've had these four teeth missing in my sides for yeah. 20 years. And then two years ago, I finally said, I got to, you know, time is going to pass. Let me get my Invisalign. Now I got to get some implants back in. All this stuff, and that's happening in the next, like, few weeks. But it's, I put it off because I did not want to. <laughs> See, that's what I mean about relatability. <laughs> I hate going to oh, the dentist. They give you all this bullshit about it's painless. Yeah, no. Oh, no. Then they it may be painless, but it's not anxietyless. <laughs> For weeks leading up, they're like, oh, man. Um, so what is the thing that's intimidating you or, or scaring you now? You know, I'm, I, I haven't decided yet, mm. but I'm, um, I, I'm, really, I, I'm really studying that mm. in, in my life right now and, and, and talking to Robin about it. And mm-hmm. I don't know... I don't know what it is, but I, I know there's another chapter that I'm getting ready to open. I just don't know what it is yet. But I know, and and I wasn't even thinking about that two, three, four years ago, but now wow. it's it's a really hot topic with me now. So I don't know what it is, but I know it's... You feel like there's something. an itch for some, yeah. a new season, a new chapter yeah, of something. something. And... Uh, I'm not sure what, but... Um, Is there any potential realms of what ideas or industries or where, you know? Not yet. Not yet. But you know there's something. There's something calling you, pulling yeah. you. Yeah, 100%. Wow. And um, I, But I don't know what it is yet. But I feel it. Wow. I, I feel it. I don't think it's going to take the place of anything I'm doing. Sadly, it's going to be an addition More. to what I'm doing. <laughs> You're going to add to the plate. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Robin's already interrogated me about that <laughs> what's the thing you're most proud of that maybe most people aren't aware of you know obviously people know about the success they know about the you know the impact you've had on people's lives they know about the you know the financial abundance you've created and all the lives you've changed but what's maybe something they aren't aware of that you're really proud about I'm really proud and not, this isn't going to be a shocker to people, but I can be specific about it. I'm really proud of the young men that our two boys have become. Mm. Um, and I, they're both very financially successful. I don't mean that. I mean, I, I've watched my two sons are both fathers now. Mm. Uh, Jay has... Um, a, a daughter, uh, Avery, and uh, she's uh, just 12, and his son London just turned 10. Mm. And my youngest son, Jordan, um, 
who's a musician on tour right now, and he has a young daughter that's just five months old and wow. another one on the way. Wow. They decided to have them close together by design. Wow. Uh, he and his wife, Morgan, and Jay's married to uh, Erica. And I, I've watched these two young men become fathers, and I, I've seen the the depth of their their commitment and their loving and caring and the gentleness with which they've stepped into that role. And I'm really, I'm not surprised, but I'm really proud of the way that they've done Mm -hmm. that, the sacrifices that they've made Mm -hmm. is as simple as being up at three o'clock in the morning with a smile on their face, yeah. you know, feeding the baby and sure. stuff like that, and um, and the husbands that they've become, and you, you always you always want your kids to thrive and be happy. And I've my goal was always I was going to work until I knew that my family was well provided for. If I fell off the world tomorrow, and um, I didn't mean just financially, but that they were, mm-hmm. you know, happy and yeah. secure in their lives. And um, I've had to revise that goal because they're way past that. <laughs> they're they're both really happy and they're good citizens. They're yeah. good people. They treat people well. Yeah. They're they're polite and 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 caring. I I see. You know, Jordan's on tour right now, and I, I see him with thousands of fans around. He's always kind and and nice to people, and the same with Jay. I, I just, I, I like the I like who they've turned out to be. That's cool. That's a good I'm thing really to be proud, proud of that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, then make sure to share this with a friend and leave us a review of the part you enjoyed the most from this interview. And if you loved this, part two is going to blow you away. It's all about relationships and how to really thrive in a healthy long-term marriage and relationship. And Dr. Phil gives his three pieces of advice for a happy and successful marriage. Why you need to heal yourself before getting into a new relationship. The non-negotiables in Dr. Phil's everyday marriage routine. The power and importance of making eye contact with your partner on a daily basis and so much more. This is a relationship masterclass. So make sure to be subscribed and stay tuned for the next episode all about mastering relationships with Dr. Phil. Again, if you enjoyed this one, then please text a friend, post it over on social media, make sure to tag Dr. Phil and myself over on your stories, over on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all the places and let people know about this episode. And I want to remind you, if no one's told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy and you matter and you know what time it is, it's time to go out there and do something great. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.